Hello and welcome to Head Above the Clouds podcast. And for what seems like forever ago, we are pleased to say we are back following the launch of our pilot series with even more conversations around mental health, well-being, guest experiences and endeavours, and boy does it feel good. For those of you who are new to our podcast, a big hello from the HATC team. Here at HATC, we continue to create spaces where people can find a moment's escapism or even a bit of respite. So take a moment, settle in, and welcome to the community and world that is ahead of the class. And welcome to Head Above the Clouds podcast with me, Alice Jew. And me, Jade Poltney. We're here to have open and honest conversations about mental illness and hopefully give some advice about how to keep your head above the clouds. And welcome back to Head Above the Clouds podcast with me, Alice Jew. Due to lockdown and a variety of COVID restrictions, I'm flying solo. This week, we have a guest slightly different to our other guests who have recorded with us so far. We are joined by Mick Waters, the previous director of curriculum at the Qualifications and Curriculum Authority. I've had previously the pleasure of working with Mick on a project before, and I can say that with the utmost certainty, he is not only one of the most interesting people I've spoken to, but he also has some of the best points on how important pastoral care and mental health is in children and education, and how we need to improve both in schools in order to provide a better future for our children. Hiya, how are you doing? How are you? I'm good. Oh good, yeah I'm well thank you. Not too bad. You better? Yeah, good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. So the first question we're going to ask is about um, how have you seen kind of mental health impact children over the years whilst working in education? I think it's fair to say that children today have um, more opportunities than children have ever had. You know, the world's the rooster and everything that they would like to do, they can. However, children also face more risks and more challenges than they've ever faced in the past. And so, whereas childhood could be this wonderful, uh, beautiful, dreamlike existence, in many cases, for many, many youngsters, it's a case of grappling with some of the pressures upon them. And the pressures are there for all children. Every child's at risk, at risk from, you know, drink, drugs, sex, alcohol, um, nasty people who might, you know, be around on the internet or some of the sort of issues of weaponry or whatever that we see in some places. Uh, but equally, every child is at risk from the pressure that comes upon them because of adult expectations and the expectations of society. So there have been significant changes over the last many years that I've seen um, the opportunities that children have got balanced by the pressures. And I think uh, it is nice being a child these days, but sometimes it must be awful. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that, definitely. Um, and then obviously the second one is quite an op- a broad-based question. Um, which I'm sure you could answer for days, but how have you seen schools kind of deal with mental health over the years as just a starter kind of thing? Well, over the years, for me, it's quite a long while. So <laughs> I, remember, <laughs> I remember when I first began as a teacher that uh, children's mental health wasn't really an issue, mm. wasn't considered. People yeah. treated children as they thought they should be treated. And it was like that, it, you know, it was um, 
sort of uh, children would know their place and they would be expected to behave mm. in ways. And some schools were fairly awful about how they treated children. Mm. Over time, schools have become much more human places. They're, they're nice places to be in the main. And the increased number of adults, the number of teaching assistants, support staff, mm. uh, has been very, very good. And, and the, the growth in support for children with special needs has been good. Uh, but still, schools are very, very big places. Yeah. Even small schools are big places if you're a little child. Yeah. And uh, some children's schools are daunting places to be. And some of the things that they have to do, they have to do what people call work, and sometimes you can't do your work, and then the pressure builds. Mm. Pressures from outside, such as exams, start to grow. And I think over the recent times, schools have become very, very good at recognising the pressures upon children uh, and trying to do something about it. And some schools are better than others. Yeah. Uh, but in the main, I think schools are aware of the pressures that are on children from external forces. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, I think it's a huge... It's interesting because I think, yeah, it, it must have changed quite a, a bit dramatically. Um, but I guess we're only at the, the start. Um, a lot of people think that it's it's almost finished, you know, bish, bash, bosh, done. It's now dealt with. Um, but I think... It's, it's probably actually just at the beginning. Um, I think that's right. The, um, yeah. the, the notion of mental health has grown out of uh, people talking about emotional health and social health and the things like emotional well-being and, and uh, emotional resilience. They're all words that if you're not careful, they're just um, uh, things that come along and we, we address them for a little while and then we get on to the next new set of yeah. words. And uh, at the moment, well-being is a, a phrase that people are enjoying talking about and doing something about. Yeah. We've got to get past those sort of early stages and really make mental health and well-being mm. part of the fabric of schools and fabric, fabric of childhood and society. So... Yeah, there's a long way to go. Yeah, definitely. Um, what changes, I guess, would you like to see? Once again, it's quite a broad one. I'm sure there's many. Um, but what what changes would you like to see mental health dealt with when it comes to like schooling and the curriculum in general? Well, in the curriculum, it would be nice if um, personal, social and health education were back in the curriculum. Yeah. The, current, the current government, Michael Gove, decided it wasn't that important and facts and knowledge are important so he pushed mental pupils personal social and health education out of the curriculum along with citizenship uh, and shortly after he'd done that he then decided to bring it back in again under another guise calling it character and um, subsequent uh, secretaries of state have said you know children and their outlook on life does matter and we've started to think that we ought to do something about it. But actually, it's not just the odd hour in a lesson, you know, a lesson now and again that helps children to become the people we want them to become. It's got to be the fabric of the school, the way the school works, the climate of the school, and so on. And teachers are wanting to do the right thing by children. Yeah. The pressures of government expectations are there on teachers as much as they are on children. And yeah. One of the things children are very quick to pick up on is the, the tension of the system, the yeah. 
the stress of the system as we go along. And so, you know, they, they read the mask of teachers. Teachers can, pre can pretend that things are just natural, but children know that their SATs matter. They know that their GCSE matters. And so one of the things I would like to see different is a sort of a recognition that we do put pressure on children in school. Pressure is not a bad thing. If There's a phrase called optimum anxiety. You don't want people to be too anxious. Yeah. We don't want them to be unanxious. We want them to be just on the right level of anxiety. And I, I think we've got to do a lot of work to make sure we don't overhype some of the things that children are expected to do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you say, obviously, about the curriculum that he took it out. When I was, oh, God, years ago, year 10 or something, <clears throat> we did PSHE, um, which I don't think is a thing anymore, um, from what I'm aware of. And in it, we, I mean, my school was pretty good. It was at the forefront of these sort of things. And we um, did not only kind of sex ed or whatever, but we, in PSHE, we would, we did, we learned how to do taxes. Now, if I'm being honest, I don't know how many kids kind of paid attention to it because at the time we all thought it was hilarious and it wasn't important. But we all picked out a job from a hat and it had like a salary. And then we did like working out how much tax we paid and what could we afford and could we afford this television or all this stuff, which actually I think have used more, I probably used more from that lesson, that group of lessons than I think I have from maths, if I'm honest with you. Um, so I agree, I think it's absolutely like, key for kids to to learn not only things that are important like you know literacy and and all of that stuff science is very important especially if you want to go down that route but actually the day-to-day -day, um things that come with living i think that's skipped a lot huge amount um i know in america they obviously have like occupational therapists or all these things that we think are quite funny you know how someone's sitting down talking about life but we never i don't think we ever had a, a point where we could go and sit we had unis come in or you know whatever but we never had we never had a time or a space where we could go sit with someone who could answer our questions or advise us on on living which is the key part to all of it really um one of the problems is that um politicians believe that the curriculum is what you take from one place and you offer to children in a lesson and teach them the curriculum and, and they very very rarely realize that children want to explore things and young people teenagers want to explore certain things and so the teacher at times not all the time but at times should be a resource that opens doors for children in the in the room that they want to go in yeah your, your example from you know understanding the tax system and how a salary or wage works and what you've got left to spend it may, it may be on the edge at the time of things that you're really interested in, but actually there are moments when children want to take things forward. Most secondary schools do have a thing called um, tutor time. And if yeah. that's well, it's brilliant because the teacher builds a relationship with a small group of pupils and they can explore things together. But typically that's just a few minutes a day, some days a week. And many children think that's, you know, while we wait for the latecomers to arrive. Yeah. And, and that most schools have something called personal development on their timetable. But personal development typically is one hour in a 25-hour week. Mm. And actually that sort of says 
where we put things. And, and the reality is, you know, personal development takes place in all sorts of contexts, in lessons, in routines at school, in events the school organise, all the opportunities we create. Yeah. And I, I think because children bounce from maths to geography to history to art to science to languages mm. and go around the subjects and, you know, a quick hour on PE and then we're down the corridor to do design and technology or computing. We sort of see personal development as though it's a one hour, learn it now and move on, when actually it's in every single lesson, in every, yeah. every facet of our school. No, definitely. It's interesting. I've never, I don't, yeah, I'd, I'd never thought of it in the sense of um, it's an everyday thing, but it is, I guess, isn't it? Um, obviously, <laughs> currently, mental health doesn't really have a, um, a sturdy place within the teaching syllabus, um, to put it mildly. It's not even, I mean, we barely have, you know, sex education. Um, I mean, once again, my school was great on that. We had, I think, out of the six years or however many years I was there, we had about five lessons on it. And that in comparison to some of my friends who went to Catholic school or you know, didn't have any. Um, but mental health doesn't, from what I'm aware of, still doesn't have a place in the curriculum. Um, I guess, that's, is that something you personally, like, I know you personally would want to see. You've been kind of fighting for that for quite some time. Yeah, I think um, what happens is various people put pressure on the system to achieve things. So... Uh, the last Secretary of State and uh, the current one both talk about mental health being important. Mm. Previous Secretary of State, Justin Greening, previous to the last, so we've yeah. got Ben and Hines before the current one, and then we've got Justin Greening before that. Justin Greening was very, very strong in saying we need to do more about relationships and sex education mm. for children. And I quite like the way she said relationships and sex rather than sex and relationships. Yeah. How to play with it. Actually, you want the relationship before you get the sex. Yeah. And, and you have to keep realising where this comes from. She, she brought that in and I've no doubt she believed it was important. Uh, but it came as a result of all those awful grooming examples that took place yeah. in various towns and cities across the country mm. and a response to that and it was a good response mm. uh, and the mental health drive or I'm not, not so much a drive as a sort of you know little nudge from the current Secretary of State Gavin Williamson is um, born of the fact that there is a widespread disenchantment with the fact that the system puts pressure on children yeah. to a degree and um, Secretaries of State always blow with the wind. So we've had a lot on uh, recently about how we should do more with the environment because of the sort of environmental crisis. Yeah. So they talk about that. Um, but they forget that it's only 10 years since Michael Gove said all that stuff about sustainability was getting in the way of learning. Yeah. And, and there he is, you know, a few years later as Environment Secretary saying, and we're <laughs> so, so whether you can really trust the rhetoric of politicians to deliver or whether or whether they are just saying it is always a challenge and to yeah. be fair to Christine Greening she did believe that teaching children about relationships and, relationships and sex is important yeah I think probably the current Secretary of State believes mental health to be important but the question for him is is it more important than such results and GCSEs or is it not and you know they they need holding to account a bit better than we currently do it. 
Oh, definitely. I think it's funny because it, it is something that obviously we, we're all aware of things being important and we all say things are important, but it's a very different thing from saying something's important and then actually following through and, and right. it's important enough to put it, actually do something about it. Um, and I think when it comes to a lot of things, whether it's mental health or, you know, Black Lives Matter, we've for so long, for such a long time, we've said these things are so important, but yet we haven't, we haven't shown that to the kids that it isn't. Right. So I guess... Right. In a way, how can we expect them to take it seriously when we we don't, you know, clearly take it seriously? Um, and, and, and you can't really have, I mean, you can have lessons on mental health, but if, yeah. if children think, well, mental health is for Wednesday, 11 o'clock till 12 o'clock, yeah. that's not exactly the message you're trying to get across. Yeah. You, your mental health is something that you need to care about at all times and be aware of at all times and... Yeah. well when it's going well and do yeah. something about it if it's not going so well just like mathematics but why we give children five maths lessons a week but only one mental health lesson yeah i think it's seeing the behavior of it as well isn't it like like you say not just to do a lesson it's it's saying that let's say you have um i mean it's kind of kind of in the workplaces it depends where you work if you have a bad day I know with the head above clouds, if one of my um, colleagues or whatever has a bad day, we say, that's fine. Take the day, take what you need, do what you need. Um, and this isn't, I don't think it's shown, it's not shown in, to most people in their jobs, let alone in the curriculum, that mental health, it, I think you almost have to, it's like writing about, you have to kind of do the thing and prove that it works for someone to take note of it. And at the moment, kids aren't seeing people, their parents, they're not even seeing their parents being given support from their job. Or, so I guess it's, to them it's sort of a joke, but it's not even part of their awareness at the moment, um, which is it's, it's very ironic, I think, for certain things. Um, a, a thing that we've had, we've seen a bit of, is the idea of kids being told they have to... Now, whether this, is, this will happen, I, I hopefully doubt it, kids being told that they need to probably go back to school over the summer now we've thought about this quite a bit and we thought surely if you tell a child that they have to go back over the summer when they're supposed to be working currently it's not a punishment but it's not exactly it, I don't know how to quite put it but if I worked all year really hard and then when the pandemic happened I still continued to work and I thought I had this reward of spending summer and doing things I loved and then I was told oh, you've got to go back to school because we don't trust you. I don't, you know, it's what sort of message is that showing to kids? Um, I mean, whether that's going to be a thing, kids going back over the summer, I'm not entirely sure at the moment. Um, I mean, do you think they'll kind of, do you think they'll go back over the summer or do you think it will just stick to normal back in September? I don't know what they'll do, but um, I think it's unlikely they'll, insist that children um, go to school during the summer. Though yeah. you could argue schools might remain open for key workers through summer time, um, open in the sense of looking after children as opposed to driving some sort of learning agenda. Okay. For, you know, full of lessons yeah. and so on. Um, I, I just think that, uh, you know, it, I would want children to keep learning and learning and learning. Yeah. So whether they're at school, whether it's weekend, whether it's holiday time, yeah. I'd want them to be so excited about learning that they wouldn't stop it. I wouldn't want children to think you only read when you're in school. Yeah. You read when you're at home because 
you know, reading is to be enjoyed. Actually, all the learning we try to offer children in school should be enjoyable in holidays. Yeah. Differences with changing the routine so that children can have a different balance in their life. But what we also have to accept is while we live in the sort of routine of schooling and holidays that's been in place for 150 years, Mm. we're a bit out of sync with what is the best way to learn and the best way to live your life. So this sort of sprint for five weeks, have a week off, sprint for another eight weeks, then have two weeks off, Mm. sprint for ages and then have six weeks off. And this notion that you just mentioned of, you know, I'll work hard and then I can have a reward of doing nothing. I get the doing nothing thing. Yeah. It's nicer if children think that book's worth reading, I'll keep reading it. Yeah, that's nice. What we know is that for some children, uh, the the lockdown has been a delight. You know, the lucky ones have been at home with two parents, Mm. have got structure to the day, enjoying some books, uh, looking at a few things on the web. Yeah. Uh, and then they've had extended conversation with mum and dad like they haven't had a chance to have for years. Yeah. They've, they've been talking about the early summer and looking at the sky and talking about the birds and the flowers. Mm. It's been gorgeous. For other children, at the other end of the extreme, it hasn't been gorgeous. You know, for many, many children, they live in poverty and we know that poverty follows children mm. through, the, through the school holidays. Yeah. So how close it gets in 10 weeks of lockdown, we, we only have to wonder. These poor children have been in homes with very little structure, um, homes with very few resources, parents who perhaps don't know how to organise things. Mm. Uh, yeah. For them, it's not been nice. So school being open brings a routine, a way of doing things, a chance to organise. So I understand why the government would want to get children back in school. Yeah. But but they, you know, they need to think about the pattern of holidays anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that you get six weeks off following an absolutely old-fashioned way of doing anything. Yeah. So maybe this is a chance to think again. No, that's a nice one. Um, and it kind of leads on, I guess, to the, the bit we were thinking about. Obviously, children um, are told for years and years that exams are the most important things. Um in our wide world and that if you don't do them you're gonna not have a future or you're not gonna have as bright a future um i think for a lot of kids all of a sudden who were supposed to be doing their gcse's or their a levels or graduating whatever they've been they've had they've like almost had this installed this theory that of how important it is and all of a sudden they've had it taken away and that's not particularly of anyone's fault it's because of the current climate um and how do you think kind of i guess the pandemic affecting exams is going to then affect them if that makes sense well i think first first thing to say is in this country we've got exams out of proportion anyway yeah notion that everything counts when you get to june in the year that you're 16 and yeah you know if you can survive that month and end up with a bag of gcse's your life is you know pathway to glory and if if not you will fail yeah because uh, that's not true. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think we've, I, I understand the pressure on schools, the government pressure on schools over the last 25 years has been enormous. And this notion that this one day in August when the results come out, determine the sort of uh, credibility of your school and the credibility of you as an individual teacher or head teacher is yeah. just bizarre. 
Um, but the fact is that children need, as they leave school, to feel that they've been successful, that they've got some exams and qualifications because that's the system we work with. And, um, you know, we, we have built it into something very, very important. And to stop it, I didn't think it was a big deal, stopping the exams. If, if we don't know enough about children by the time they get to March in the final year of their schooling, it's a funny old school system. They've been with us for ages, so we ought to know enough about them. But um, I understand also some teenagers thinking, well, that's not fair. I've worked like mad. Yeah. And I'm not going to get my moment in the sun. It's a bit like the Olympic athletes suddenly being told, well, we're not doing it. Sorry, you know, you've been high jumping for five years and now it's not on. Yeah. And the other youngsters who feel cheated because they thought, I don't need to work until the last three weeks. And mm -hmm. then I'll do all the preparation, go in and get the glory, and then I'm finished. And they, they haven't had that chance now. So yeah. those, you know, those who miscalculated possibly. <laughs> Got a problem. Uh, I, I just think we've got to be a bit more straight with children, teenagers particularly anyway, that uh, once you've done your GCSEs and you decide to be an apprentice or mm. go on to A level, yeah. very few people ask you after that point how many GCSEs you've got. <laughs> when you've got your A levels yeah. and you go to university, hardly anybody asks you what you've got for A level. Yeah. And when you get degree. when you get your degree five years later, yeah. people come along and say, "What mark did you get on that assignment?" In that, degree? you know, they are things that you do to get under your belt to help you to get the sort of decisions that you want to make in your favour. The benefit of exams and qualifications is that it gives you more options, more chances, more choices. The less you've got, the less choices you have in the future and and that's all they really need to know but this this obsession with you know what you'll get in the future based on this one day in june is a very odd very odd thing i think like i mean i don't remember the last time anyone paid any attention to my degree and that was what two three years ago um no one really cares at all now um but they care more about the experience I've gotten since or throughout and the pastoral side to it. Do I enjoy working or what do I do at home, which makes me then excited to bring that to work. That's what you get asked in, in interviews, isn't it? And I think I, you don't really get asked about your GCSEs or, or whatever it is. So do you think maybe, I guess we should do more on the pastoral side once again, because that's the ultimate focus really, isn't it? Rather than whether you've got a B in your maths GCSE. If you can, yeah. you know. Well, that, that notion of well-roundedness, yeah. what employers want are well-rounded people. They, they often talk about soft skills, which are really hard to learn, but skills of teamwork, skills of leadership, skills of organisation, skills of customer awareness, yeah. all those things are absolutely vital. Uh, and employers are more and more saying that when they select people for their company, no take a rounded outlook. The problem you've got for 16-year-olds and for 18-year-olds is that the way to get to the first sift is, did you have yeah. the minimum number of GCSEs or A-levels? And in a way, I understand the employer's problem. If you've got 300 applicants, you've got to have a way of sifting them quite quickly. Yeah, That's become traditional 
was the way to do it. So, so we understand where it came from. But I do think the, the well-roundedness is really important. Now, to, to be fair to Ofsted, which is a, you know, a strange organisation, uh, it's had a lot of problems over the years. Yeah. Uh, they have recently said that they'll be looking at schools to, to decide whether they're good enough on the basis of uh, the extent to which they uh, promote a rounded education alongside the examination qualifications that children get because over the last many years schools have been pushed to get more and more better and better qualifications at the expense sometimes of the rich and rounded education that all children deserve so it will change if the inspectors can hold hold the nerve on that I think that's a good idea. I think it's once again it comes down to like if you know you go you want to go work for a charity, they care probably more about your experience with philanthropy than whether basic maths because you can probably attain basic maths again. You know you can relearn it or whatever it may be. Um, I guess one question that a lot of people are wondering is what is the impact that the pandemic is going to have on education now um, and in the future, of course. Um, are we going to have to look at a new way to educate um, more, maybe more remotely? It's, it's kind of a lot of these questions going around. Um, I guess what's the, what do you think the key changes might be from having the pandemic when it comes to education? Well, a lot of people are talking about well, in the future we can use what we've learned from this experience and make yeah. education different. Um, the notion of reimagining school and think of it in a different way. Uh, I'm not so sure that'll happen. I mean, <laughs> I, Wishful I, I, I think uh, uh, there's a big tendency in humans to go back to where we were oh, after yeah. a crisis. So yeah. when there's been a crisis, if we only get back to where we were, we know everything's okay. But it's so like a resolution, isn't it? You do it for a certain amount of time and then you, you go back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's why people... Um, Many people, you know, so often there's an earthquake and they rebuild the city in exactly the same place that the earthquake. Yeah, yeah as it was, we don't yeah. want to think, oh, we're not do that, we'll do something different. So, I think there are possibilities. We've learned a lot about uh, digital learning for youngsters this yeah. last few months. That, you know, we can do it, we can teach remotely, we can help children to learn at distance. Yeah. However, However, what a lot of people are realising is you need that interaction, that personal relationship, as well as just banging things through a screen. Yeah. We are thinking uh, a lot about how we get the rhythm of a school year and the rhythm of a school day better. Yeah. I think one of the things that needs to come out of it is a, a, a rethinking about where youngsters can take responsibility for themselves and drive themselves. Mm. The idea that we've got, they can only learn when we spoon feed the next hour really needs to go. Youngsters can learn. It's a natural thing to want to learn. And the idea that you only learn, as we were saying earlier, that we only learn when we're in the lesson. We only learn when we're made to. We only learn when we're at school. We've got a chance to break that and get children to be learners who are driven forward and helped by teachers who interact with them for part of their lives. And I think we really take the chance after this pandemic to think again about how learning happens. 
I think we're going to have to as well, aren't we? Because I think another thing comes down to it is a lot of um, children, let alone the adults, have faced maybe times where they they experience anxiety. Um, I mean, I only experienced it so young because I had bipolar. That, that's the ultimate factor of it. Do I think I would have experienced anxiety and learned how to deal with it? Otherwise, probably not. Um, and I think that's going to come with, obviously, the pandemic that kids are now anxious if they've never been before. But to top it off, we already had an epidemic, a mental health epidemic crisis, I would say, before we even had the pandemic. Um, and I guess it's, you know, it's really important that we, how, how are we going to approach it basically in schools? Um, and we've already said that people say things that they care about things and they probably do care. You know, I'm not saying they don't, but it's about caring enough to, to change something. Um, and I think maybe, maybe we need to start to deal with the problems we already had instead of, you know, kicking them to the curb or hiding them. We need to start dealing with the epidemics that we already had, um, whether it be, you know, poverty, uh, which is more of a pandemic anyway, but um, all of these things. So I guess it's how it's taking the effect of the pandemic and how it's going to affect children and how are we going to then reevaluate everything? And that once again, I think, comes back down to pastoral care and what's more important, or what's, what is important, maybe not more important, but what is important in schools. Um, I think it's probably something that we're going to have to really look at, um, which I'm sure you've experienced over the years. I think um, one of the things we know about the pandemic is, is many many children uh, from quite a young age are very aware of the tension in society they, they, the ceaseless talk of numbers the ceaseless examples on the media of terrible things happening mm. the, the stress in the family some children have been closer to anxiety than they have ever been in their life some children are closer to death than for many generations children have been so there, there is an inbuilt tension now that wasn't there previously for a lot of children. And then if you start adding that to the other examples of pressures, the body image, you know, the images of how you look and how people think about you, the issues to do with um, uh, sort of the pressure of peer groups, the fear of weaponry, which was prevalent uh, you know, just a few months ago, it was a major, major problem for teenagers. Uh, the um, thing that very young children do, which is comparing themselves with others and often calling out for them that they're not as good as their peers. Yeah. Peers, so it doesn't make sense. If you start putting all those together, uh, the, again, we come back to, they've got to be um, a coherent, thoughtful uh well-organised approach to dealing with this, that it's incidental as well as structured, rather than saying three lessons on body image sorts that out, two lessons on weaponry will stop that. It's got to be a pervading thing. And where politicians need to help is by helping schools to realise that this can't be done in one little bit of a week. Yeah. In order to do that, you've got to change the level of pressure on all the other structures that they demand. So they demand the teaching of English, the teaching of maths, the teaching of history, yeah. the teaching of 
they demand that and they set targets and they set exams. Now, we, surely we don't want exams on mental health, do we? We don't want children to fail the mental health exam. No, it's the whole point, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. So maybe we need to pull back some of the pressure on the other things in order that the wider curriculum gets its proper, uh, proper, proper status, really. Yeah, definitely. And I guess finally, the thing that I guess that we need to think about is what should the priorities be when it comes to schooling, when it comes to mental health, when it comes to after this pandemic, you know, what, what finally are the, the key priorities that we need to shift maybe from, whether it be from exams to pastoral care or what, what would you say the kind of key priorities should become? Well, the priorities need to be that roundedness in education. So children need to feel that they're growing up enjoying and that they're learning things so i'm not against children learning knowledge and facts building skills and developing understandings and getting big ideas but they need that because that gives you an enriched feeling and that rich feelings are what we want children to gain and enjoy but what we need to do is make them those things worth learning for their own sake rather than so that you can pass an exam five years from now. If you want to learn history, because it's a fascinating thing to learn about. Yeah. You want to learn about science because it just appeals to that inquisitive nature in children. You want to learn about maths because it will open doors in life to opportunities and experiences that we all want children to, to enjoy. So the first thing we've got to do is reshape the reasons why we're doing it. If the only reason but we're, we're doing exams is so that we can make children do exams. It seems to me a very, very weak argument. Mm. For adults, let alone children. Um, and, and so we've got to really think about what it is that it is to be a child and how we help them to be the most accomplished, successful, enriched, happy people they can be. And, you know, that's not where we typically start. You know, ever since 1870, when schools began, there have been a group of children who didn't want to come. Mm. In the beginning, a lot of parents didn't want their children to go to school because that meant they couldn't do the work that was brought in the money for the family. So in England and in Britain, we've always had the problem of trying to encourage some children to come to school. Uh, and there's always been an outlook, but you know, coming out of a, a Victorian era, when mm. school began, that children should be seen and not heard. They should know their place. They should do as they're told. We have to make them because they won't. What we've got to do is see childhood and learning as something that actually is just joyful to it. Yeah. Something. I think that's the honestly probably the best answer out of all of it. It's about enjoyment, isn't it? And I think when it came to school the only time I didn't want to go was when I didn't think I'd enjoy something um and I remember when it comes to like you know subjects as well when you get to year nine you get to pick your subjects it was such an exciting time everyone was really excited about what they wanted to learn about what they wanted to do and why they were going to have more lessons doing that instead of maybe what they didn't enjoy um and even in that process we had really strict I think it's gotten stricter actually we had to pick two of these lessons, two of that, or one of this, and you had to have history or you had to have one. And now I believe, I think you have to have history, geography. So that takes out two of your options. 
And I think you, it's now at the point where you only get to pick one thing you might be passionate about when actually you might be more passionate about the arts than you might be about, you know, certain doing triple science. Um, so I think you're right. I think we've just got to strip it back to, to actually enjoying things. I guess where in, when in life do we start not enjoying things as much? I mean, that's a whole debate that's been going for a long time. Would be on to why don't they enjoy them? And one of the reasons yeah. they don't enjoy them is because they're tested so much, or they're told they're not doing well. Yeah. You know, plenty of grown-ups who tell you they didn't enjoy something at school, but look at them now. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting, about making start thinking about instead of what we didn't enjoy at school, what we did, and take it from that approach. Start to think about the Open University, which over the period since it began in 1970. Yeah rewarded people, millions of people with degrees mm. who cheerfully admit they were awful at school mm. and were failure in their own school days. Now, is it them that changed or is it that the school system didn't do them a good job? Yeah. Or is it they were too early to exams? I mean, fancy us all having to take an exam on the same day. Well, it's based That's on, the system's based on one set like algorithm re really isn't it like that each child's the same um when actually every person's different that's right we just process you through and it's you know yeah. we, we keep the system good is by rejecting a lot of it yeah definitely that's brilliant though thank you okay, after yourselves don't get ill or anything oh. <laughs> all right, all right. see you later bye Thanks so much for joining us, especially on this Christmas period. And we are wishing you all a happier new year than we've all experienced through 2020.